Welcome, everyone, to episode 219 of Some Like It, Scott. I'm your host, Scott Shelton, and on this week's episode, we're talking about our first 2023 movie of the new year, and that is the campy sci-fi doll horror comedy, Megan. Before we get to that, however, with me, as always, I have my co-host, Scott Harvey. Scott, how are you doing today? I'm doing good, Scott. I uh, I went to see this film on Saturday morning at 10 a.m., true sicko hour screening. Um, That's not okay. It, uh, it, it was, you know, I went to see it because it made sense, but it made the most sense with what my schedule was going to be this weekend. Sure. But I don't know. I do kind of like, you know, rolling out of bed on a Saturday and like just going to the movies. Like it wakes me up a little bit. It, it's the second time I've done that now. At my closest AMC, they basically every movie that they're showing, they have like an early morning screening on Saturday. I went to see She Said at like 9.30 a.m. or something like <laughs> a few weeks ago. So. Uh, I'm, it's a, nice I'm a big if, fan of the morning movie. Yeah. And if you if you don't like going to a movie and being with a lot of people in the theater, it's good because um, both times I've gone, I've had only one other person in the theater when I went to see the movie. So um, yeah. it's nice. Yeah. I mean, as I'm a big fan of the uh, 11 a.m. Alamo screenings. Yeah. Uh, did one of those this weekend when I went and saw The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, doing one next weekend for The Two Towers. Uh, I well, they've got a good brunch menu too, of course. So. Of course, yeah, definitely. And uh, like, yeah, scheduling it around meal times going to the Alamo is actually key. I, I feel like if I went to like a three p.m. Alamo screen, I'd be like, I don't know what to do here. Yeah, like, what yeah. am I supposed to do? Am I supposed to order? I mean, I guess the answer is you order popcorn or you order some order some snacks. snacks but, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I'm just like, I want a meal when I'm when I'm here, so I'm not sure. I don't know what to order anymore because I just look yeah. at the main menu. Um, I think the one time I went to an afternoon screen at Alamo, I was watching Raiders of the Lost Ark, and I think I ordered a, I think I ordered like a milkshake, or something like that. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, but I so I did that this past weekend. I'm also a big so I also feel like when the IMAX so like for big movies that come out in IMAX in my local because the IMAX screen near me is very popular because it's the largest one in New York, and if you're not like on it getting your tickets, then like your best chance at getting a good seat at this theater because you can't really sit anywhere in front of like the last three rows because the screen yeah. is so big um i end up going at like nine or ten like when i saw avatar the way of water with jay we went to the 10 a.m showing yeah um it's a great time to see a movie it's a great time to see a movie yeah i will say for something like this movie though i i you know it would have been more fun to see it with a crowd probably she oh, said 100%. who cares like yeah that's a totally yeah. a 9 30 a.m saturday morning. are you kidding man my screening were riotous people jumping off yeah. the balcony and everything well it made 30 million dollars so uh, well i yeah. went to the also went to the opening <laughs> the world premiere of the, of the movie yeah. so it was a bit different but yeah no one jumped off the balcony at lincoln center to be clear but I was talking about megan to be clear when i said made 30 million dollars like not not I she know. said yeah i know okay yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, well, I'm sure that if you went to a screening of Megan at like on a Friday night that had a balcony, people would have been jumping off the balcony. Yeah, this exactly. movie. Because my my screening was the first couple row, rows weren't didn't have anybody on them, but like mostly sold out my Friday night screening, mm -hmm. 9 15 p.m. screening of Megan. Um, and the people the people were vibing. Let's just put it that way. It's a fun, fun theater experience. Sure. Yeah. No, that, that's definitely true. I think also seeing like a film like Barbarian. I mean, I'm li we're literally just listing horror movies yeah. that we've seen in the last six months now. But like seeing Barbarian with a sold out in Dolby, sold out Friday the Friday night it came out. Good experience. The people next to me, man, did not know what they were in for with that movie. <laughs> I remember when that screening was. That was funny. 
Um, but yeah, sorry that you saw this with an empty theater. That is, that is actually kind of a bit of a bummer. But it's okay. It was still a good time. That's true. You still had a good time. Um, but yeah, Megan, why don't we? I guess we should just go ahead and start actually talking about the film. It. It's directed by uh, Gerard, 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 I'm just kidding, uh, John Stone, and stars Allison Williams as Gemma, a woman who finds herself solely responsible for the care of her niece, Katie, uh, spelled like Caddy from uh, Mean Girls, which I don't know if that's an intentional reference or not, uh, played by Violet McGraw, who's the only survivor of a car accident that killed both of her parents on their way to a family ski trip vacation in Oregon. Gemma, however, is young, single, and seemingly married to her work, where she's a robotics designer for a children's toy company. Think things like Furbies. Her newest project, Megan, or Model 3 Generative Android, a lifelike AI doll designed to be a loyal companion to a child it's paired with, is much more advanced than just some random animal toys, though. And the demands of Gemma's job makes juggling her new role as a mother figure to Katie extremely challenging. And there she decides to make a bold decision. To ensure that Katie is supervised while she remains dedicated to her work, Gemma decides to continue working on Megan, acted by Amy Donald and voiced by Jenna Davis, and to pair the doll with Katie um, during the formal presentation to her boss, David, played by Ronnie Chang. At first, this new arrangement shows great promise and success, freeing up time for Gemma to focus on her work while Megan provides the attention Katie needs. But Megan is ultimately a prototype doll whose learning algorithm is iterative and untested. And as certain situations at home and outside the home progress and prime time for Megan's public unveiling approaches, questions begin to arise about whether Megan might just be too much of a good thing. Scott, this film was marketed as a bit of a successor to the camp horror of something like Malignant, one of your personal favorites back in 2021. Did Megan live up to that level of personal hype for you, or will you be waiting a generation to see if they fix the bugs in the next version? Yeah, it's interesting. You know, Malignant, I think it did decent business when it came out. It was also a COVID, the COVID year, so it was still kind of weird. Yeah, but It was mid-2021 um, before people really... You know, it was really full on back to the movies, you know, in quotation yeah. marks back to the movies. It's it seems like the cult around it is forming a little bit, though, because now, you know, we sure. already talked about Barbarian. You just brought it up. Everyone was referencing Malignant and speaking about that movie and people are referencing it and speaking it about Megan. Now, of course, that is because James Wan is a producer on this film. Actually, mm -hmm. I think the producer or maybe even the writers of uh, Malignant uh, also wrote this film. But the, the people involved with Malignant are involved with the production of this movie. Um, and yes. I just wonder if we are going to continue to see its influence on, you know, horror movies, especially as they continue to do well, as they continue to be, you know, in the case of Barbarian and now this movie, some of the only original movies which are actually doing well in theaters nowadays. Um, I wonder if they're going to go down this road more. Um, I would be perfectly okay with it. With that being said, I don't think this movie bears as much similarity to Malignant as even Barbarian does. You know, I think that those movies are a little bit more, I guess, sophisticated and sort of playing it straight, but in such an over-the-top way and, you know, and knowing way, um, knowingly over-the-top way that, you know, they're able to sort of pull off this delicate balance. Whereas I think this movie is more explicitly a comedy, right? Um, I, I think sure. um, there's plenty of intentional moments of humor in the film, um, you know, intentional jokes and, and humorous moments. Whereas, 
you know, in this again, in the case of something like *Malignant* or *Barbarian*, it's just like the actual absurdity of the situation, or maybe how the characters are reacting to the situation. You know, *Malignant* has all the great stuff about like you're adopted, you know, you were adopted, Madison. You know, just like the crazy line readings and stuff like that. But it, there's, they're, they're not intentional, you know, necessarily intentionally humorous moments. It's just like the the way mm. that the actors are directed. But this, yeah, I mean, I mean put, James Wan, who directed *Malignant*, did has a story credit on okay, this movie yeah. and Akila, I think it's a, I'm forgetting. It's like Akila Cooper is the writer for this film and also was the writer for Malignant to your point. Yeah. So it, al it almost feels like just, just directly to this point here, it almost feels like they watched the reaction to Malignant and said, okay, why don't we like be in on the joke a little bit more? You know what I mean? It, it kind of feels that way mm -hmm. a little bit, not, not in a bad way. Just, it seems interesting. Yeah. I just think they're going for something different. here. I mean, this is a Blumhouse movie, right? And, I think this fits more along some of the the style of, of low budget horror movies that Blumhouse likes to do. You know, the good examples being like Happy Death Day or Freaky, right? The Christopher Landon movies, the yeah. maybe slightly less successful examples being like, you know, The Hunt or Fantasy Island, for example. But these are all movies that are like kind of have comedy like are, are half comedy, half horror, and not even really leaning too seriously into the horror. Um, but I think Megan definitely falls in the good side of that camp. I, I don't know that I like it as much as Happy Death Day 1 or 2 or Freaky, but um, I think is it is able to nail the tone that these movies, that, that the best examples of these movies have, which are, you know, again, clear moments of humor that really work. Um, but not overdoing it and still having an actual sort of emotional through line in a way when you uh, when you really pay attention to it you know like happy death day for example is you know everyone thinks of the, thinks of it as a groundhog day style you know there's a sci-fi thing going on but it's also a story about you know this character tree who is trying to uh process her grief from losing her mother and the you know sort of awful person that that has turned her into um mm -hmm. you know and developing over the course of the movie whereas here as you've set up you know we have katie the young girl who is trying to deal with the loss of her parents and you have Gemma, the allison williams character who was like thrust into this situation um without any sort of preparation um you know, and trying to figure out how to balance being an actual parent. What does being a parent even look like? Um, because she has no experience with it, with like the job that she is so clearly, you know, the most serious about. Mm -hmm. um, and so, you know, you actually have some sort of like the, the movie actually has a heart to it, which um, is maybe not what you expect. But I think it's something that makes this a little bit more than just like, oh, a silly romp, right? Which it, at, at the end of the day, it is. Uh, but there's something more there, I think, which is why I, um, you know, in, in come, came away really enjoying it and having a good time with it. Like, I think it actually does um, want to tell probably a simple but, you know, kind of um, emotional story about, you know, this sort of found family type situation. Um, and obviously, you know, you introduce the fact that Megan, right, is init is initially like the the member of the found family, right? Um, mm -hmm. And they take some time to set up Megan. It's not like instantly chaos, not instantly what you see in the trailers. Obviously, it um, you know she's working as she's supposed to work in the beginning, and 
there are actually some genuine moments of connection between her and Katie um, that are effective. Uh, but then, you know, when when it hits the fan, like, um, and the movie just decides to lean into the comedic aspect, it's a great time. I mean, you know, you know what to expect from the trailers. If you like the trailers, um, you know, you, you kind of know what you're going to get with the movie. I mean, it, it was advertised pretty well. I think that's one of the reasons so many people turned out. But, um, yeah, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, it, it doesn't reinvent the wheel or anything, but it was it's exactly what I wanted in terms of, like I said, it's, it prioritizes having a good time above anything else. I don't, I don't find it to be a particularly scary film. Um, no. Yeah. It's, it's a, it, you know, it's a great time. It actually has some heart to it, which, you know, you're not going to be like tearing up or anything in the theater, but like it's, it gives you more of a takeaway than just, well, Hey, that was, you know, empty, but fun spectacle. Um, and I actually like the performances for the most part as well, certainly of Allison Williams and, uh, and Violet McGraw, who plays the little girl. I thought they were good. And I found them to be mostly sympathetic characters, but not fully sympathetic characters, which, uh, uh -huh. it, again, is, I think, um, is a good thing. Um, there's a little bit of dimension there to, to each of the characters. Um, so, you know, it's by no means a, a you know, classic piece of art. Uh, this this uh, movie but it is a fun time it probably has a little bit more substance to it than you're expecting uh, but even if you're just going in to like laugh at Megan dancing and um, all the kooky stuff that she eventually gets up to I don't think you'll be disappointed with what the end product is um, it's it's a great way to kick off 2023 and you know it's sure. it's uh, it's one that uh, maybe I'll even come back to it at some point because it's a it's a nice breezy pop on material watch. Well, Scott, I think I think the first thing to to note about this film, which I didn't call out in the in the intro, but the reason why this film is not like those other movies is because it's PG thirteen. Somehow, this is a PG thirteen movie, True. and that obviously limits a lot of like the really crazy stuff. I think you can do with the film. Um, certainly you can't do half of the stuff you see done in Malignant because of that. In Malignant, um, yeah. <laughs> so not, not that that film was ever really going to go that direction anyway, but that, that is certainly one thing I felt, I thought the movie was really fun. Like I really enjoyed my screening of the film. It was a pretty packed audience. People were really enjoying it. I really enjoyed it. I did not get a deeper read out of the, this, the deeper read that you were sort of describing out of this movie, even a superficial as that deeper read might be. I just thought it was a fun romp. Ironically, I thought the two people that you just named as the good performances were not the good performances in the movie. I thought that the the physical performance of Megan and then the voice performance of Megan sure. was like was great. I thought that was yeah, one of the best, I the do best agree performances with that in the movie. Well. Yeah. Um, we can get into Allison Williams and Violet McGraw maybe in a little bit. But I just, yeah, I, I think that the, honestly, having settled that, the biggest problem with this movie is that it is so well advertised that like I feel like 75% of the stuff that happens in this movie is in the trailer. And I know that's just like maybe like a very Scott, me Scott kind of thing it to is, complain yeah. about. <laughs> but like the fact that the pretty much the only dance scene in the movie, which people like lo were losing it for in the trailer and because it's hilarious and awesome, like there are no other instances of Megan doing that in the movie. Yeah, I mean, that you got to sell the movie somehow, though. I no, guess that I, would just be my 100%. Yeah. I 100% agree with you. If you don't put stuff like that in the trailer, people are not going to go see that movie. Are not going to go mm -hmm. see the movie. Just like flat out. I understand that.
but it is there's a no good way to resolve that, it. There was yeah. no. It's a bummer that there was no. There was nothing really much more beyond that. Like yes, there's some more like chase scenes and funny stuff that happens, but it's like that's like kind of the funniest part of the movie is when she's doing like pirouettes down the hallway and yeah, just yeah. brutally murdering um, David. Spoilers. Um, but like, like that is, that is some of the best stuff in the movie. And it's just, it is kind of a bummer that that's in the trailer, in my opinion. Um, again, that's not like a super deep complaint, but it is just a reality of movie marketing that, uh, I just continue to be frustrated by. Um, but yeah, the, the film's, the film's a good time. Like it's in a hundred minutes, very breezy, never was bored. Um, yeah, just predictable shenanigans. And yeah, I guess can't wait for the sequel. Um, because Megan's yeah. still there, right? Megan's still there. We've seen the body, but well, uh, uploaded the mind. Me, me, yeah, maybe Megan's still there, or maybe it's just going to like move on to another technological. It's it's unclear exactly what has caused yeah the other AI that she has in her house to act oh, in the yeah. way that What's it's it called to act. Do you it's some, it's called? something with an E. I can't remember now. It's like a it's a woman's name with an E, but yeah. Uh, is it like Elsie or something? No, I don't. That think sounds right. Elsie sounds right. Yeah, that yeah. could be it. Yeah, but yeah. anyway, it. The last thing we see is it like still blinking, after a, you know earlier in the movie, starting to show some signs of understanding behavior in a way that it was not programmed to do. Oh no 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 no! That Megan was impersonating Elsie in that situation. Oh yeah okay yeah, yeah, okay yeah. that's fair yeah, that's yeah, fair yeah. yeah. I, I think I think it is vague. It, it is vague, but I think that the it implication is, is that she's uploaded herself into the AI, into like the yeah yeah AI. that okay that's true. When I saw that at the end of the movie, I guess I just assumed that that was actually Elsie talking earlier, and they were they wanted that to be like the you know the cliffhanger oh, yeah. for the sequel. But yeah, I think that makes sense too because Megan obviously impersonates other people at yeah. other times in the movie. So yeah, I could be wrong, but that I thought that's how we, you were supposed to read it. But regardless, yeah, I think ultimately this film. It is made by Blumhouse, so it's, it's inevitable to compare it to th something like uh, Happy Death Day or, or Freaky. But th those movies aren't aren't James. Like those movies at their core are are Jason Blum movies. This feels more like it's a James Wan movie. Um, and I don't mean that one way or the other, but I think that ultimately lends itself to something a little bit different. I don't like. Frankly, I don't think James Wan is a very deep filmmaker. I don't really. I don't mean that as an insult. I think there's plenty of ways to entertain without out being deep, and I think that James Wan does that. But this feels like a James Wan movie more than like. Christopher Landon, who I think is more adept maybe at lacing through the more like emotional touching, like touchstones in something like Happy Death Day or even Freaky, which I think, you know, your mileage may vary, but I think ultimately is more successful at, at weaving in something that resonates a little more deeply. Maybe it's because I'm not a parent. Maybe this would resonate more deeply if I were a parent yeah. or something like that, to be fair. But yeah, I find I found things like Happy Death Day and Freaky to be more to be more relatable, granted, they're about people who are in like high school and college. So I guess that's probably inevitable that, that I would relate to them more than this person who, you know, is a working adult and is now a parent. I guess I'm like sort of in that situation, and, but I can't really imagine being a parent. So uh, that's, yeah. that's, a tough, that's a tough one for me, probably. So neither could Gemma, though. She just all of a sudden. Yeah, that's why. And then she made yeah. an AI doll, so she didn't have to be a parent. Look where that got her. Exactly. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, great stuff. Um, but overall, like complaints aside, like I think I think the film is. I'm I'm more lukewarm on this film that, than you are. I don't think that's surprising to anyone that knows us as uh, in our this movie taste. My bag for sure. This this type sure, of thing. Sure, sure. But like I, I also enjoyed the film. I'd recommend people go see the movie yeah. still. 
Um, just don't expect high art, right? But like, I don't know why you go into this movie expecting high art. So. No, but surely nobody is. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you say that, but you never know. Um, but yeah, fair enough. But okay, Scott, you got you got you got to pitch me on Allison Williams being good in this movie because I thought she was I thought she was bad in the film. Bad, really? I, yeah. I mean, that just that never even entered my mind. Honestly, I thought she was solid. First of all, I like the casting of her because. You know, she's like corner of this market, I feel like, of like niche well, but but also her persona is she's one of the like sort of poster children for like the nepotism baby, right? And right. kind of gets this uh reputation as like, oh, you know, she's the perfect uh, you know, again, nepo baby who like never had nothing has ever come difficult to her in life and She's just kind of, you know, coasted along. And this is reinforced by Marnie, which is her character that she plays on Girls, which is her most famous role, who is the same type of thing, right? Is like the spoiled kind of rich, um, you know, uh, member of the group who... I feel like her most famous role is Get Out, no? Have it eat. I I don't think so. I mean, that's, you know, that's the most famous movie she's been in, certainly. But I think... Her iconic role, the thing that people know her as still is Marnie from Girls, but um, which is a show that people still talk about, honestly, it still sort of remains in the zeitgeist. But um, Mm -hmm. so I like the casting of her as like, um, you know, someone who like seems to be sort of in their own world again and like focused on their work is clearly like brilliant at what they do. Yeah, but, you know, maybe can't relate to, like, these everyday situations, right? Which all of a sudden she has to, you know, relate to when she's made the role of a parent. I just found her to be a sympathetic character. Like, I thought that her, uh, she was believable as someone who is just trying to, like, figure it out, right? Uh, of, like, the mistakes that she's making in the beginning of um, of parenting and, like, the that she has the collectible toys in her house for example and um katie wants to play with the collectible yeah. toys in the way that she's yeah. like no like those are not you know those, these are collectibles they're not and even later on when the therapist shows up and like asks her to like says you know basically guilt guilt trips her into like doing the toys or whatever if you watch her when like the toy box is being opened she is like in physical pain oh yeah watching yeah. the toy Absolute box English. being opened like just being opened before they've even started playing with it and then you know she's being like super neurotic about oh you got to play with it in this particular way or whatever but she's still like you know so so she's a little bit flawed in that regard and you know you want to be like hey get a clue but also you still sympathize with her right because she didn't choose the situation oh totally. and yeah. um you know she is trying to deal with it as best as she can but then megan the megan you know thing comes into play and i wasn't expecting that angle on it right like you see the trailer and you think oh you know she just she creates a best friend right because the child feels lonely but no as you've stated it's it's more than that because actually she's making megan to like do the job of parenting that she doesn't want to do um or doesn't feel that she can do and what we eventually see though over the course of the movie is that um you know and this is where some of the substance if you want to call it that comes in is um i think the movie sort of reinforces that good parenting is not perfect parenting right like you're never going to be able to connect to your child in every particular situation like you have to try your best and actually you know you create this megan that is able to like 
knows perfectly what to say and what to do in every single situation. Um, and what it leads to ultimately is like very, you know, severe attachment and then like, you know, extreme behavior on behalf of the child. Um, and so the fact that she kind of has to screw up, but in screwing up, you know, learns how to do things a little bit better and learns, you know, what to say to Katie in the end to win her over. Um, there's, you know, kind of an arc there, which I enjoyed watching. And I felt like she knew the kind of movie she was in. Like, I, I don't, you know, I didn't feel that what she was doing was sort of discordant with the whole thing. I think she is meant to be more of the emotional type centerpiece of the movie. So she doesn't get as many like, you know, winky moments, but like, I don't think she was taking it so seriously or anything to where it was, it was taking me out of the movie. So I liked her again. I mm -hmm. felt connected with the arc of her as being someone who is not a perfect person, uh, but is trying their best and eventually seeing that, you know, trying your best is, you know, better than knowing what to do necessarily in every single situation. Yeah. It's, it's so funny that you say that because I, I feel like the emotional takeaway of the movie is like more focused on like, I, at least I am, I interpret more of it coming out of the child out of Katie, like this whole notion. I mean, there's of like, certainly some there as well. Yeah. Like the whole notion of like, as a child, in order for you to like really become like to mature, you have to like, not everything can be easy, right? Not everything can be what you want it to be. And I didn't get that as much, I think, with the story around around Katie. I mean, like, obviously, she's making a huge mistake, like, sort of, or sorry, with Gemma, sorry. Yeah. Um, and obviously, she's making a huge mistake allowing this robot to become, like, the surrogate parent for her niece. Like, obviously, that's mm -hmm. a terrible mistake. But I guess I'm not, I didn't really pick up too too heavily on this notion of like the movie being about her learning that she doesn't have to be a perfect parent. Um, well, I, I think that's a lot there, of the but... conversations with the therapist, right? Cause the therapist is warning her from the very beginning, like, Hey, when Megan is like, you know, is, is afraid of Megan and not necessarily because, you know, she thinks Megan is going to be a crazy killer or anything, but because she's going to become attached to her since she knows how to like respond in every single situation, basically in the correct way. Sure. Yeah, that's fair. Um, I also just felt Alison Williams was like, gave a really wooden performance. I didn't find actually there to be much emotional depth in the performance she was given. I agree with a lot of the things that you're describing, like how the character is written and why it's interesting. Like, I think the character is written in this way where like, you know, she's this single late twenties, early thirties person who, you know, on paper, very relatable to us, like neither of us, have kids like you know we're people who are career driven like we want to be successful things like that i think mm -hmm. very relatable in that respect um but like emotionally I, like and i and i can definitely relate uh, you know as someone who has toys that are collectibles that i would not want a small <laughs> child playing with like i can relate trust me i relate to that um but also at the same time like i don't know like i just i didn't get maybe what i was i didn't get to the same level of emotion that maybe you're describing in certain parts coming from Allison. And I thought that was on her. Like, I thought that was, I thought that was the performance. Maybe I'm wrong. Um, but yeah, we started talking a little bit about Violet McGraw as well. Kind of thought that it like, she got cast in this role because she was like the young Florence Pugh or whatever in, uh, 
in Black Widow. I think she, I think that was like one of her other roles that she's mm. that she's been in. She's like in the first scene or whatever when they're in Ohio. Um, she's the younger version of Scarlett Johansson's sister. I don't remember a single thing about that movie, but that's yeah. fine. Um, you don't you don't remember the needle drop, the uh, the title card needle drop. Um, I just remember. Oh you yeah, isn't it like really weird and Zack Snydery? Yeah, it was very Snydery. Yeah. Um, it, it has a weird needle drop or something yeah 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 yeah. anyway um you like you like this performance you i'm i assume that you're going to say it was very believable very childlike i don't know sorry i'm putting words in your mouth go ahead what did you think i mean yeah that? like i think so like i think you <laughs> yeah. know when you're evaluating a child's performance in that type of movie that's really all there is in this type of movie that's all there is to it um but yeah i think she is she's believable like she's a bit of a brat like and she will act out and stuff you know especially as the megan situation develops um and so i guess i like sort of the single-mindedness of her you know emotions at certain point points um and you know she has to get she has to have a couple emotional scenes and the the you know scene where they're um doing the test the demonstration for the um yeah the the investors, investors. i guess investors, is who they yeah. are yeah um that you know i thought i think i think that scene is going really well until megan starts singing um because again i while i enjoy the campy moments oh that are God. throughout the film i felt like that was a moment where they were trying to go for something a little bit more serious and emotional and it was working for me and it turns uh, out, Scott, the they were not, in fact, going from something more serious. The conversation <laughs> that they were having. Well, but that's the thing. I still think they were because I think they want, like, they, they want there to be some sort of character development for Katie there, right? Like, in what she hears from Megan. But that's that's part of the problem is, like, all of that gets undermined, kind of, when Megan starts singing because it's just, it's laughable. And it's meant to be laughable, I think. Um so there's just a little bit of tonal confusion there that I don't think is present in most of the movie. But yeah, I mean, you know, it, it's there's not much to say. Uh, it was it was a good child performance. I thought, again, it didn't take me out of the movie um, like bad child performances I have seen before. I, I'm trying to think of like a recent example, but I don't know. But, uh, you know, I, I thought she was up for the task. Yeah, I I thought she was fine. I just thought she was fine. I think yeah. I think she has some good moments. I think she has some like less than good moments, which is probably about what you can expect out of a reasonable, you know, what, how old is she? Ten? I don't know how old Violet McGraw is. Something like that. Um, I'm gonna look it up now, and she's gonna be like 15. No, she's 11. Okay, so like I don't feel so bad about that. Jesus Christ, she was born in 2011. Oh my god. Um, can't can't engage with that right now. So yeah, I thought she was fine. I don't really have too many positive or negative things to say but yeah i think she had a couple good moments i actually think when she's asked to go bigger with the performance she's actually better i think she's like not the best at like sort of like the the middle ground type stuff i think that comes off like she just comes off a bit awkward and the stuff where it's like she's just trying to like play it play it straight or play it cool when they ask her to go bigger in some like the, the bigger scenes like the scene you're talking about where she starts crying and stuff and when she's like really angry towards the latter half of the movie about like and her separation anxiety with Megan, I think she's good at those moments. Um, but yeah, some of the other times I didn't, I wouldn't say that she took me out of the film, but there were some times where I would say that it was, it felt a little bit lower quality, but overall, um, yeah, she was, she was fine. I'm curious to see if, 
if this will give her a platform to do something more significant than like a super campy, you know, comedy horror film. Mm-hmm. The performance that I love the most, and I and I said say this at the beginning, I guess, was I thought that an Amy Donald who does the physical performance of Megan. I mean, I'm sure that there's some sort of motion capture going on here. Like this is obviously not all, um, you know, in camera. What's happening? Mm-hmm. But like the actual performance, I thought was really great. Like I thought this was a and the voice too. Yeah. And then yeah, Jenna Davis on the voice side. Again, I'm sure they're doing some sort of auto tuning to the voice here, like some, some something in post to make it sound even more robotic. But like, I really thought that this performance was spot on. And y- yes, this film isn't just a, a comedy, but like, I feel like that is what really makes the film work in a lot of the comedic instances. The the, the timing of the lines, the the way that they're delivered, like it's, I thought it was really excellent. Yeah, um, I agree. I think like, there's something unsettling about it even from the beginning like she's able to sound yeah disembodied enough to where you're like put off but also you know enough like a real kid or whatever to where it's not um immediately obvious that there's something more going on here but you know just like the one of her first conversations or whatever where they're talking about the coasters um and she's described megan ends up describing you know here's how the water gets out of the you know this is how how the water makes the stain condensation or whatever yeah and yeah and uh katie's like oh that's cool well or that's wild or something like that and she's like that's insane right (laughs) and just the way that the line was delivered cracked me up like it's it's being way too sincere about it and so again right from the beginning even though it's funny you're also like uh, that's a little creepy, right? Um, and it it just gets better from there. And like when she does start going full full killer, um, mode, killer it's, no it's killer. great too. Some some of like the you know sort of one liners that she has to the people before she kills them or whatever are, are pretty funny. Um, and you know, I think it I think it's great that it's an actual like little girl who's doing the perform the voice performance as well too. Like I think you know she. She nailed it. Um, and I'm very curious know, why they didn't just have Amy Donald. Like, I, I want to know the reason why Amy Donald yeah. didn't also do the voice. Didn't have or the vice voice versa. Well, yeah. yeah, yeah. I'm just imagining like someone, some like 50 year old person chain smoking cigarettes or something like that. Be like, her voice is super raspy or something mm-hmm. like that. But the main reason this movie works and the main reason people are going to ha- are having a great time with it is because of Megan. And I yeah, think 100%. it's not just the concept of Megan, right? It's actually the performance, which is. taking it to something you know again understanding the assignment look so far she's on my list for best lead actress i'll just put it that way (laughs) yeah Um, she's on the board is she a lead or supporting scott do we have to have this discussion right now or do we need to wait a few months (sighs) yeah i i'm still worried about category fraud for this coming year so yeah okay so we'll we'll circle back in march um yeah what on the part two of our oscar review episode i'll ask you if if amy Mm -hmm. donald is lead or supporting um, <laughs> all right um yeah i mean look there's other performances in this movie none of them are very good scott i don't think we really need to talk about any of the supported roles nah. do we no I, there's nobody that stands out i'm sorry to say do you, do you want to talk about kurt you want to talk about kurt the uh data stealing stealing secrets no yeah still stealing company the neighbor secrets. was fine you know, the neighbor yeah. was kind of an evil. You know, I was going to say, for like, for much of this movie, I was going to, I felt like I was going to end up posing the question on the podcast that did Megan do anything wrong uh, was going to be a debate that we needed to have. 
she does eventually towards the end of the movie, I think get in this sort of irredeemable territory. Um, but the, you know, the neighbor situation. So you're, you're pro, what you're yeah, saying is you're pro killing the dog. You're, you're, you're going to come on the podcast and say you're pro killing the dog. Of course I'm not. But yeah. again, I, I'm being cheeky about it. But, sure, you know, sure. all the situations that she's responding to at first are like, you know, yeah. justifiable, not how far she takes it, but justifiable that, you know, someone would respond with anger to these situations. I mean, I mean, that is the whole, I mean, I guess to, to and the people getting their comeuppance are not good people, I guess is what I'm trying to say. You know, the, the neighbor is very inconsiderate and disrespectful. Yeah. The boss and actually, therefore should be, should be drowned in, in for, like whatever pesticides yeah. or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> and then the boss is obviously, uh, you know, and the kids in, in the woods turd. Yeah. And he's a bully. Yeah. I, this was a totally random moment in the movie, but the, the, um, the bully kid or whatever he gets his ear ripped off and then there's a random cop who shows up later and is like talking to Gemma and is like yeah talking about the fact that they found the ear like near the you know near the Nothing site of his death, death or whatever yeah and, no 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 but but he has this moment where he's like I, sh I really shouldn't laugh about it or whatever <laughs> yeah. and I was like what what the heck like it was so funny the way he delivered it um like, I don't know why he would be laughing about it in the first place, but it was just kind of a random, absurd moment that I liked. But what's well, also the joke? Yeah, nothing... he's like, oh, this is the second time we've talked to you this week. And he's like, oh, like, you're not suspecting, you're not saying that I'm, I had a part of this for them. And he's like, oh, Lord, no. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I think the main complaint, if you want to have a complaint, and again, I don't really care about story logic too much and something like this, but is that Gemma probably should have, you know, read the tea leaves a little bit sooner about what was going on. Um, sure. and for someone who's a brilliant toy engineer, kind <laughs> of is not really brilliant when it comes to high intelligence, low insight. Uh, it is strange that you know this kid got pushed in front of a car, and then and this that, dog is know, gone, and this woman is dead. That, the dog went away. Yeah. yeah. Um, it, right at the same time that Megan is starting to you know show some sort of antisocial behavior, or whatever you want to call it, or. Or gaining the kindest new, gaining way to new phrase that antisocial yeah. behavior, <laughs> gaining new ability, rapidly gaining new abilities and like cognitive ability, that is kind of you know scary for an animatron. Certainly, no, no, no disagreements there. Definitely, but again, I don't really care about that stuff because like I'm just there to have a good time for the most part. Yeah, I wouldn't say I really care about that I don't either, personally. Yeah, I don't expect an ironclad story in freaking Megan. And if you do, I think you need to, like, you know, check yourself at the door, probably. This might not be the movie for you. Yeah. Check yourself at the door. Yeah, go watch The Fablemans. Um, loser, bit movies story bad, than loser movies from bad yeah. directors like The Fablemans. <laughs> yeah, non-BAFTA nominated directors. Yeah, exactly. Um, anyway. Scott, this is ultimately, you know, we've talked a lot about the comedy. This is also a quote-unquote horror movie. Um, it's a type of horror. It's not necessarily your slasher type horror, of course. But we started referencing some of the kills there, but I think we probably should talk about them, right? Like, it is PG-13, but there's still some, there are still some deaths in this movie <laughs> worth discussing. You talk about um, the neighbor. I think her name is Celia. She is sort of, uh, is it like, um, what, what, are those, what are those machines called? Like a water... I forget what they're called. Um, yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it, people use them to to like clean their like 
concrete driveways and stuff like that. Pressure washer. Oh, a pressure washer. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, sorry. Yeah. She's like killed by injecting poison into this pressure washer and then pressure and Megan pressure washes her face with pesticides. It looks like, I don't know, hundred percent, some sort of chemicals or something. I don't know. Um, it's whatever she's spraying. Yeah. So she's spraying it on like the plants early in the movie and Jim, and it's going into her drive, filling into her yard. Yeah. 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 Um, Maybe it wasn't a pressure washer. Maybe it was just that machine. I thought it it looked like high powered though. Yeah. I don't know. I don't know. It doesn't doesn't matter. matter. Pretty, pretty rough way to go in my mind. Um, there's that, there's the kid with the ear, and then there's uh, sort of the co-workers of Gemma. David, her boss, and then David's assistant, Kurt. I don't know what he is. Assistant, um, whatever. Those are sort of like the big kills in the movie. There's the final fight as well, which you can talk about in a second, which I want to get to separately. But Scott, of those, any, any of the kills that you want to call out? Yeah, I mean, you know, we talked about the David kill, which has the dancing and everything before it, which is just really funny. Um, And then, you know, you have um, the pesticide kill, like we said, which is maybe like the most creative one, um, probably. You don't think ripping an ear off is creative? Yeah, no, the pesticides probably is, yeah. Yeah, the ripping an ear off is is good, though, too. It's more, it's, you know, it's the build up to it, I think, more so than the... Also unexpected. I did not know they were doing that in the movie. Yeah. That was one of the things that wasn't in the trailer. Thank God. But it certainly doesn't read like I mean, you know, I th- I do think we've been spoiled on this type of stuff by something like *Malignant*, right? Which is just so crazy. Um, to say that, that like some yeah. of this type of stuff seems tame or whatever. But I'm in it. For it's the also PG-13. It is. T- it is. A, it yeah. is an intentionally tame movie. Yeah, and he, even again comparing to like the the I mean, *Happy Death Day* was PG-13, but um, oh, uh, was? I didn't realize that. I believe it was, yeah. I believe it. The um, Freaky was not PG-13. And the woodshop scene, for example, in Freaky, like, is more creative than anything, that any of the kills in this movie. Um, but I, I'm there for the whole experience, you know. Again, it, it's oftentimes the build-up to the kills, which is more satisfying. So, it, you know, I didn't necessarily expect or I didn't feel empty because we didn't get any of these sort of, like, you know very creative Rube Goldbergy kills or anything like that. Like it was, it was fine. Like, mm-hmm. you know, it was, it was the right level of fun for a PG 13 horror film. Yeah. Didn't totally did not realize that uh happy death was PG 13. Yeah. Uh, I mean, you know, it's, there's, there's nothing too crazy that happens in there either. I mean, I guess the, you know, she hangs herself. There's like a bunch of, but there's like a bunch of knife kills, you know, like, I feel like people are getting knifed in that movie all the time, but there's not a whole lot of blood or anything, which is what they really care about when they're rating these movies. That's very true. Very true. Think about how many people like get, will get shot in like, like the freaking born movies or something, which are all PG 13. I mean, people are getting shot all the time, but Oh, there's no blood. So it's fine. Like, yeah, I, I do think that I feel generally think that that like uh like this is says something about our society most likely, but no, gun yeah. kills are much less violent usually than like hand to hand combat knife kills. Again, well we can't some you know, we can't anger the NRA like you know that's true, that's true. No guns in this, right? No guns. I don't think there's any guns in this one. Um, yeah, not that I recall. Anyway, there you go. There's your there's your like R rating expl or PG thirteen rating explanation from us. As for the final fight, yes, God, um, it was the only other thing where I had a slight problem with it because it goes on for too long. 
And there's too many moments of like I know in a horror movie, right? You have to have the oh, we think that I mean they've they've been they talking about this and scream, right? Like they, they've been parroting this scream, like the moment where, oh, we're all safe, you know, we killed the the villain or whatever, and then you know, she comes back. I think they just take it too far. Like there's two or three moments like that in Megan where it's like, oh well, you know, we we beat Megan up, poured water on her or whatever, ripped her apart, you know trying to take the brain out like her face is off or whatever and she just keeps coming back right and it starts to lose its its appeal a little bit like because it's like oh she's coming after Gemma. well then katie comes in and saves the day with the bruce suit or whatever then she she's she yeah. comes back and she starts coming after katie and now uh now Gemma has to you know knock her out or whatever but oh she's still coming back again and now katie has to come jump in again and throw the screwdriver in her in her you know brain yeah it should it should have ended after Bruce. It should have ended with Bruce. I agree. I think yeah. so too. I, that like that's the most satisfying moment because it's a sort of Chekhov's gun payoff yeah. from earlier in the movie. Which um, I, as soon as they showed the robot at the beginning, I'm like, well, this is going to be important later. <laughs> like, it's totally one of those things. Where you're like, yeah, it makes sense. But, someone's going to use this to kill Megan at the end. But it was still fine. I, I mean, again, yeah. it, it it was fun. Like that scene probably went on a, a a little bit too long, but. Look, my goal in 2023 is my movie New Year's resolution is just to be more positive on film. Be more chill. Focus yeah. on the positive. Um, and I had a great time watching this. I, I enjoyed it. Even if I didn't think it, it was that good, I enjoyed it. Um, that was Another fun. shot that I loved uh, and was ca I cackled at was when she goes to the camp when or the like outdoor school orientation thing. Yeah. Um, and Megan, eventually they convince, you know, that convince uh, Gemma to let Megan come and Megan has to stay at the toy table though and there's that first shot of Megan who's like sitting there among all the like t teddy yeah. bears and everything with her yeah. disaffected expression and everything and it was just like cracking me up because she stands out so like distinctly from everything else that's sitting there but it's good yeah I mean lots of good good bits with Megan for sure Around some good needle there. drops as well. We haven't talked about, you know, the titanium. Well, uh, I was going to in my favorite scene moment. Okay. Um, go ahead. Go for it. Go yeah, for it. Which, yeah, I mean, Scott, the titanium needle drop in this is deranged. <laughs> Absolutely deranged needle drop. Um, you can probably do it better justice than I can. But yeah, just like sort of no context. The kind of this was like trying to cheer, trying to cheer Katie up. Like Comfort she's like, Meg, uh, Katie, yeah. Yeah. She's trying to cheer Katie up. And she starts to explain to her how she's bulletproof um, and can't let, like, basically, you know, mean comments or hateful, hateful things get her down. And she's just, it becomes very clear, very quickly that she's reciting the lyrics of Titanium, um, the David Guetta and is it Sia song? I think it is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, in, incredible. And the fact that they, like, fully commit to it, like, like, she sings this thing for, like, a minute. And um, she's singing that. You know, she's singing like so sincerely, and again with such oh, like, yeah. passion to it. That's what makes it so like a hundred percent fully committed. But also funny, yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I mean, the theater was just cackling during the yeah. whole thing. Um, the only other thing I want to mention: this isn't a favorite scene, a favorite scene specifically from the movie, but a favorite moment if of mine from my from my viewing experience was later on in the movie when a lot of like the tension is building between. Gemma and Katie and there's the scene where I think they're in the office and like basically there's this confrontation and I think the, the therapist might be there as well 
even um and katie like hits Gemma or whatever yeah you, you know that scene yeah mm -hmm. my somebody in my crowd like a couple rows in front of me when that happens and everyone like sort of like gasps for a little bit he was like oh no you gotta hit that bitch and just like, <laughs> referring to Gemma hitting katie like clearly referring to the fact that Gemma should should hit katie and that yeah. just like everyone and like it went from gasp to just everyone cackling uh laughing in my theater so that was i mean th that seems like whatever but that was really that was a really funny moment in my in my yeah, theater it is, it is pretty funny anyway sorry your favorite senior moment from from megan yeah you know we've talked about a lot of the the fun moments i think um but i do like another needle drop i like is when there's there's sort of a montage early on of like katie bonding with megan like mm -hmm. after they first um you know and, and megan like you know at first performing the duties of parent like in a very satisfying way for Gemma. Yeah. but there's a there's the needle drop is this charlotte gainsborg song called deadly valentine which is just like again a funny song to be needle dropped in this movie um but it soundtracks the montage very nicely um and it's you know it's a fun montage just to watch them interacting for the first time and like um Katie like doing these repeated mistakes, like not flushing the toilet and all this stuff, and not using the coasters yeah. and stuff like that, and Megan having to Megan like Katie, standing right outside the, the bathroom toilet. and being like, "Yeah, yeah, wash your hands." Like you know, again, like she's being like the parent, right? She's being the overbearing parent, yeah. kind of in a way. Um, it, that's first. one of the, like just the funny things about this movie, and I, I'll say that I think they they got the right parts right. I guess like I really feel like the writing for this film in everything except for Megan, not very good. Like the writing is just like really not that great in most of the film, but like everything related to Megan, I just feel like they kind of nail, um, which is interesting. I don't know. Yeah, again, maybe it works better in something like Malignant where everyone is kind of playing it straight again, whereas here it's like, you know, you have Megan who is supposed to be more comedic, obviously. But then right. you also have, you know, they want to have the emotional narrative with um, yeah. with Allison Williams and with the the daughter. So um, with with Katie. And so it's like they have to have some more serious scenes or whatever. And, um, it may, you know, again, it worked OK for me because I like the fact that there's like some heart in the movie. Um, but, it, you know, your results may vary. All right, Scott, out of 10, what are you giving our first 2023 film? Uh, 7.8. As far as like the bullseye, right, and what it is aiming for, it hits pretty close to the center, I think, in terms of what it is trying to do. A few small quibbles that I, I mentioned there where maybe it doesn't quite nail the, the tone. And then again, the final battle goes on for a little bit too long, but it's a hoot. Definitely go see it in theaters. I mean, it's going to be around for a little bit, probably try to go see it with the crowd. It's fun. Oh, yeah. I think this will be in theaters until, I mean, probably until Ant-Man comes out, I'd say, at least. Yeah. It's fun, and it's nice that we're getting something in, in like, this in January, right? We're like, you know, January would typically be, like, a dump spot in the past. And I'm sure we will get some of those movies where, you know, studios just dumping stuff or whatever. But it's nice that we now have a point of, like, where we can yeah. even expect something like Megan, right, to be a quality film. And last uh, year it was Scream in January. Wasn't, wasn't was Scream January last year or was it later? I think so, yeah. Mm -hmm. Um 
Yeah, yeah, because we were saying like, oh, yeah, because no, it totally was January because we were. I was saying like, this is a bad sign. Like they didn't put this out in October. Right. This yeah. Is a yeah. really bad sign that they didn't put this out in October. And then it was good. And it was good. Um, and it wasn't a bad sign at all. And it was fine. And I think Scream Six March, isn't it here the weekend you're coming? Yep. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is. Perfecto. Uh, seeing Scream Six in New York, which is seems like it's going to be set in New York, so that's cool, I guess. It does. Um, yeah, for for me, I, I'm obviously going to be a little bit lower than than your seven point eight. Uh, I'm coming in around uh, like a six five area, and I think the major part, the major difference between you and me in this is that I really didn't feel like I got much of the human connection that you got in the film. I think if I had to really isolate a part of the film that seemed to work better for you than it did for me, I think it's that element, the uh, the Gemma Katie Katie side of things. But I mean. Look, Megan's a star. Simu Lu's out here saying that like people can't be stars anymore, but Megan's a star. Absolutely. All right, that should do it for our discussion of Megan. Let's take a short break. When we come back, we'll be talking about the BAFTA Award long lists that were released this past week. Stay tuned. of today's episode of some like it scott as mentioned before the break we are covering another set of lists last week it was the oscar shortlist for specific awards this week it's all of the bafta long lists. they release lists for pretty much every category right so um those came out this past week scott why don't you guide our attention on this bafta journey sure so yeah like you said this is more than just the technical awards which is what we talked about for the oscars but the baftas are essentially the british version of the oscars um they can but also cannot be uh, a good predictor of what we're going to see at the oscars um and you know they do have some categories which are like more specific to british films right they have an outstanding british film category which includes everything from you know legitimate heavy hitters like after sun and the banshees in a sharon to shall we say lighter fare such as mrs harris goes to paris and see how they run um sure the, I, the, simply by the fact that it got a wide release and was british it, it qualified for the award yeah i do want to see both emily which is the emily bronte film starring um emma mackey as emily bronte but that has not gotten a american release yet and then lady chatterley's lover which is on um on Netflix. That's right not now, the Dakota Johnson one, is it? No, that's Persuasion. Uh, okay. Lady Chatterley's Lover, I think is Emma Corrin and somebody else. I don't know. Oh, yes, 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 yes. Um, anyway, uh, that's outstanding British film. As far as best overall film, Scott, they've narrowed it down to 10 um, films now. Uh, and I believe that the final number will be five. But After Sun, All Quiet on the Western Front, The Banshees of Sharon, Elvis, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Fablemans, Living, Tar, Top Gun Maverick, and Triangle of Sadness. So again, um, you know, a little bit of a British bias there perhaps with After Sun and Living both getting in, right, which we're not expecting to be nominated for Best Picture at the Oscars. Um, you know, After Sun certainly, I think, is deserving of the nomination for Best Film, but is a little bit of a surprise, I guess you would say, and a little bit um, unique to what is going on elsewhere in award season. But yeah, you know, the big 
films for the Oscars um, are are here. I mean, you know, those being Tar, Everything Everywhere All at Once, The Banshees of Inisherin, The Fablemans, uh, and Top Gun Maverick. You know, all movies that are are going to be in the the Best Picture race. Um, Elvis also on there, which you expect to get nominated for Best Picture. And Triangle of Sadness, you know, I think it has enough momentum at this point in time to where I, I do think it could steal like the ninth or 10th Best Picture nomination. Um, I don't really know. I mean, I, I wasn't a huge fan of the film, but it definitely has its defenders. And, you know, it won the, the Palm Door, correct? Um, yes. So, um, it you know it is popular among international uh, bodies certainly um so I, I think it could could sneak in there i don't, I don't know how many other nominations it's going to get but but yeah triangle of sadness is one that i think probably i feel pretty confident now is going to get a best picture nomination for the oscars anything stand out to you here scott from this lineup of 10. Yeah, I, I think I'm not surprised about the Triangle of Sadness. I think that this this film especially plays like the, I think the comedy plays very well, especially outside the U.S. I mean, I'm a, I was also a fan of the film. I you know, we'll see if it yeah. comes up when we talk about top ten movies, et cetera, of, of the year. But I'm not totally surprised that a foreign body would nominate it, and I think that that does bode well for a chance at the Oscars because I think it's really easy to forget that there's still a very significant portion of the voting body. Um, that is international in the Oscars. And I think that a lot of people really, I mean, the film, you know, it won the Palm d'Or. Like, you know, it clearly plays yeah. well, plays well with international audiences. And, the, and in a way, I mean, A, that might be Ru the fact that Ruben Austin himself is European and so has more of that European um, sentimentality. And also the fact I think people like laughing at Americans, Scott. I think I think that might be the truth <laughs> on that one. Um yeah, yeah, and it does portray some pretty dim Americans in this film. So, yeah, I'm I'm actually kind of surprised that there hasn't been more conversation slash push on the just the fact that uh you know it's it's lead actress Charlby Dean passed away. Like I'm just kind of surprised that's not being talked about more in that respect. I don't know if that makes sense or not, but um yeah it is a little strange because also you know that if you look further down to the acting which is where we're going to go um harris dickinson is nominated for the film or is on the long list you know for best actor dolly yeah. dolly de leon is on the list for best supporting actress and this one is crazy to me woody harrelson is on yeah, the list I mean, for best supporting actor which can't is, understand that i mean i thought harris dickinson was actually really great in this movie that doesn't yeah he's good yeah i mean like i thought i, mean, I was genuinely surprised because literally well, everything i've yeah. ever seen him in he's been awful in um including his other films in 2022 but i, I thought he was i mean i thought he was great in this dolly de land great like but yeah woody harrelson come on guys that's also my least favorite segment of the movie and like i <laughs> yeah. think he has the worst part of it probably so i really um, enjoyed I that segment it. and he is certainly the worst part of it <laughs> scott do we need to watch all quiet on the western front what's like what's what's going on here there people are like saying it this is like one of the best war movies it does feel like we're ignoring it a little bit, I guess. I, I mean, I just, it didn't really cross my radar because I thought, oh, Netflix is doing a remake of like this best picture winning film from the 1930s. Like, oh yeah, I'm sure this is going to be good. Like, But it's like actually getting second. juice though. Like it's, it probably is, one yeah. of, it's probably one of the favorites for best international feature, if not the favorite. It is. Yeah. 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 Um, I, I would say so. Um, so I guess so. Maybe I'll wait until the Oscar nominations come out to confirm that it has the juice, but um, it is on Netflix, so. Uh, yeah, I'm like, do I need to watch this before next weekend? Because I do like a good war movie. 
probably no no excuse no excuses soon but yeah I, it, it doesn't bother me that much that i'm not watching it like in time for our list episode um sure i don't know if it's going to shake it up uh, best director um kind of crazy there's 16 films on the long list but um apparently steven spielberg did not do one of the 16 best directing jobs of the year um directing the fablements because Thank not you. on the list scott um the bath is not really know yeah, I don't know if he made some comments about the BAFTAs or British people in the past or something, but that's really all I can can think to explain why he's not on here. But um, we have Charlotte Wells for After Sun, the director of All Quiet on the Western Front, whoever that may be. Martin McDonough uh, is in there for Banshee's Corsage um, is is going to be nominated. Well, he's on the long list in this category. Park Chan-wook for Decision to Leave. Very happy to see that. Um, even if it's just the long list, um, obviously Baz Luhrmann for Elvis, the Daniels for everything, everywhere, all at once, the directors of the documentary fire of love. Um, yeah. interesting to see a, a documentary getting attention for best director and interesting that it's not all the beauty and the bloodshed, which like, if there's any documentary that deserves consideration there for me, it's, but I haven't seen fire of love to be fair. Yeah. I also Why think it, for, again, for what it's worth. Fire of Love, a much more like um, internationally, universally true type of documentary, as opposed to Laura Poitras making all the beauty of the bloodshed, which is a just incisively American, American story. Yeah, yeah. So maybe there's something there, and maybe Fablemans is that way too, right? I don't know. <laughs> incisively American story. I wouldn't, I wouldn't think so, but no, you wouldn't yeah. think so. Also, All Quiet on the Western Front, directed by Edward Berger. Okay. Very quiet girl i don't even know what that is scott to be quietly fr to be frank with you um is on the list for best director saint omer that's the french film directed by alice diop yeah. uh, maria schrader for she said which is a very pedestrianly directed film in my opinion so kind of crazy that she is on there and spielberg is not uh todd field for tar chanonye chukwu for till um joseph kaczynski for top gun maverick Gina Prince-Blythewood, The Woman King, and Sarah Pauly for Women Talking. Um, anything besides the obvious stand out to you here, Scott? Yeah, absolutely. The Quiet Girl. I mean, absolute rampage here. Uh, an Irish <laughs> language film, Scott. Have you ever watched an Irish language film before? Wow, it's in Gaelic? <laughs> it is in Gaelic. Oh, I don't I mean, if that is if that is Irish, then yes. But it is an yeah, Irish language is. film. Yeah. That's crazy. Take that, Brooklyn. Why don't you, how, how don't you write some authenticity for a change? John Crowley is canceled uh, for not not having the film performed in his native language. Yeah, and Martin uh, McDonough too. Get out of here, Banshee yeah. and Sheeran. Why don't you try some Gaelic? Irish. Yeah, uh, um, Scott. Let's move. Sorry, and I'll actually call what stands out for me here. I'm just. Yeah. Excited. I mean, I know it's British, so it, it's a slant. But like, After Sun actually being on a long list that's not like first feature or whatever. That that's fantastic. I love love that. Also, yeah, Scott, best director. Can we just say also Fableman's not on it? James Cameron. Where's my boy at? Yeah. What, what are they doing to my boy? I have Come a feeling on. James Cameron could not care less, but um, yeah, yeah, he doesn't it, care about it. There's no way James Cameron cares about BAFTAs. Those two giants of, you know, filmmaking who are, you know, were completely ignored in favor of you know, the Maria Schraders and Baz Luhrmann's of the world. So Scott, what I can say is that the real filmmakers can't be bothered. By the baftas that's what we should yeah say. yeah i i'm certain that they that the two of those guys are not bothered in the slightest but um 
Best Actress, Scott, Naomi, Aki for I Want to Dance with Somebody, Ana de Armas in Blonde, Kate Blanchett in Tar, Jessica Chastain in The Good Nurse, oh uh, Viola Davis in The Woman King, Daniel Deadweiler in Till, Leslie Manville in Mrs. Harris Goes to Paris, Emma Thompson in Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, Michelle Williams in The Fablemans. Oh, there's The Fablemans. They remember the movie. Yeah, and it wasn't Best Film as well. And Michelle Yeoh in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um yeah, not too many surprises here. I mean, this this actually mirrors pretty closely the Golden Globes uh, nominees with the comedy drama. You know, you have like Ana de Armas, Kate Blanchett, Michelle Yeoh, who are like the drama side. And then you have Leslie Manville, Emma Thompson, um, people like that. I don't remember if Naomi Aki was nominated at the Golden Globes. I don't Globes, think she was nominated. Yeah, I don't think so. But anyway, you have like the, all of these, for the most part, all of these are names that we have seen. Uh, in award season thus far, except for Jessica Chastain. That would be the one uh, exception there, I guess. Uh, yeah, I mean, sorry, Scott, Kate Blanchett, right? That's who, that's the only name I saw on this list when I was reading it just now. Yeah, it is, it is hard to see any other names. I, I will confess it. And, you know, she's won just about every critic circle and everything that's already voted. So uh, the writing is on the wall, I think. But yeah, um, look, critics don't vote for Oscars, but and other other awards but I, I will be curious if that trend changes i think it could be another clean sweep of most of award season for the lead actress category which is it's pretty feels like it's pretty much been that for the last few years has been that's been the narrative just like whoever's the favorite just wins every award and you know scott once again it goes to somebody who's playing a real person like you know you just you play a real person you're gonna win i know it's the insane. award yeah uh it's just it's sickening at this point um and not and not just that but a musician too scott that's the sickening part yeah yeah unreal it's the worst uh lead actor scott austin (laughs) butler and elvis speaking of playing a real musician (laughs) speaking of the parody we were just doing uh uh, tom cruise and top gun maverick let's go uh harris dickinson and triangle of sadness brendan frazier and the whale colin farrell and the banshees of a sharon daniel kaluuya and nope nice um Felix Kammerer in All Quiet on the Western Front, Daryl McCormick in Good Luck to You, Leo Grand, Paul Mescal in After Sun, and Bill Nighy in Living. Sorry, I'm. Um, gonna, I, you were laughing about Daryl McCormick. I, at least you were. You were chuckling to yourself. I'm very curious why you're why you're laughing about that. Again, Good Luck to You, Leo Grand is just like such a movie that doesn't exist to me. To like see a not only Emma Thompson like getting nominated. Sure, that's fine. That makes sense. You know, getting on the list. But to see like random male lead or whatever, it's like it, they are kind of going out of their way because it is a. He's the film, titular like, character, Scott. It's not random. Yeah, oh yeah. <laughs> He's Leo Grant. Right. Well, I actually, it, it's just yeah. it's like because it's a British film, you know. It seems like they're going out. Well, of also, it's a Sundance movie. It's not. It's not like this film that like, came out of nowhere. This film wasn't Sundance in a top movie. I know. Yeah. I didn't like it that. I, I thought the ending was really bad at the movie, but I thought the acting was pretty good. I saw that looking. But yeah, Scott, actually, you know, this is, this is, we'll talk about it when we eventually do this on like it's Scott Awards, but this is a pretty weak year for a lead actor. Um, and I yeah. think the, the eventual Oscar lineup is also going to be weak, but like th- this one, they came a lot closer to getting what I think are like most of the best lead actor performances from the year. Um, yeah. Whether they actually make the final cut obviously remains to be seen, but they're, they're in the mix. Uh, yeah. I mean, Sam Worthington wasn't on the list, but that's fine. <laughs> Fair enough. Yeah. Uh, my Jake. Best, 
<laughs> Best Supporting Actress, uh, oh, Angela Bassett in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever, Hong Chow in The Whale, Carrie Condon in The Banshees of Anna Sharon, uh, Jamie Lee Curtis in Everything Everywhere All at Once, Dolly De Leon in Triangle of Sadness, Lashana Lynch in The Woman King, yes. Janelle Monet in Glass Onion and Knives Out Mystery, Carrie Mulligan in She Said, and Emma Thompson in Rolled Dolls Matilda the Musical. Um, sure. And Amy Lou Wood on, in, Let's go. Amy Lou Wood in Living. Uh, Amy Lou Wood is in Sex Education. She's very good. So um, shout out to her for um, doing something else. God, um, so, so funny. Emma Thompson getting double nommed in an Oscar year would be incredible. <laughs> that is not going to happen. The musical. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what a power sure. combo. Like, good luck to you, Leo Grandin. Roll Dolls, Matilda the musical. Um, Scott, you know, you have what I think would be the two favorites in this category here, which are Angela, Angela Bassett and uh, Carrie Condon. I kind of think the race is between the two of them at this point for the Oscars. And then, you know, Jamie Lee Curtis, Dolly DeLeon are probably people that are going to get nominated as well. Um, the fifth slot, I don't really know. Maybe Carrie Mulligan. You know, that seems like the safe choice. Um, but mm -hmm. Hong Chow, I know, has some buzz as well. I just don't really know what the vibes are on the whale right now outside of Brendan Fraser's performance. I think the, the vibes are bad. I think the vibes are bad on the whale. Well, I read the plot summary of The Whale, and uh, I can understand why they would be. I, I read um, Lon Harris's uh, Twitter thread about The Whale and <laughs> decided I could stop there. Yeah, there's only so much so much time and so many movies we can fit in. And uh, yeah, I, I think I've hit my capacity for like miserable experiences for the year with like. Sure. And I don't like Darren Aronofsky to begin with, so. Yeah. Yeah, look, all I'm saying, Scott, is that I'm making the decision to go see Glass Onion again in the theater tomorrow rather than making room for something like The Whale. That's all, that's all I'm going to say. Very fair. Um, you still need to watch Pearl, though. Um, just saying. Look, if Pearl was in a theater down the street from me, Scott, I'd probably go watch it. Yeah, you know, Pearl was in a theater earlier this year. Uh, that's but... true, but I was at I, I was watching sixteen films at the New York Film Festival when it was out in theater. So what's another? What's a seventeenth? If you're already watching sixteen, what's a seventeenth? I would I would ask you the same question, Scott. What do you think the difference is between sixteen and seventeen? Uh, I saw Pearl in theaters. I'm innocent, but I'm just asking you as a hypothetical question. What is a seventeenth movie in a week and a half where you've seen sixteen? Another two hours. Uh huh. Yeah. The march, <laughs> the marginal constraint of my time grows larger every every second. Uh, yeah. Look, I think I look. I'm glad Lashana Lynch is getting noticed because I watched The Woman King a couple weeks ago, and I actually thought she was really good in the film. She's always an actress, Scott, that I've wanted to like and everything. And sometimes I like her. I feel like I also liked her more than a lot of people did in No Time to Die last year. Um, I don't remember what the take was on her. I feel like the take was bad. Like the, the I mean, I wasn't like a fan of her in it. Yeah. yeah, I enjoyed her performance in it. Um, I mean, but I've enjoyed her in the movie. Before the movie, everyone was talking about her being like, "Oh, this she's going to be the next Bond or whatever." And then, like, as soon as the movie came out, it's like this conversation's completely ended. So, well, that, that's because I mean, Scott, I know this is not what you were doing, obviously, but that's because people were like, "Oh, it's a black woman, like Bond gone yeah. woke or something like that." Like, that's the real reason why the conversation <laughs> died. But like, I don't know. Instead, we're going to get Aaron Taylor Johnson. Uh, Scott, Best Supporting Actor, the sicko category here, I think, with you look at some of these nominees. So, Brendan sure. Gleeson and the Banshees of Inna Sharon, sure, fine. 
Tom Hanks in Elvis. People like um, the accent. I think this is this is what we've learned. People like the accent. To the Brits, it's probably a legit accent, but um, he's, Woody Harrelson he's in what? Triangle of Sadness, which again is crazy. He's white. He's white. Um, it's a recurring. It's a recurring theme on this list, Scott. I'll I'll point that out. It <laughs> is. Yeah. He's white. Barry Keegan in the Banshees of Sharon, Pratt Pitt in Babylon, yuck. Um, <laughs> Kihei Kwan in Everything, Everywhere, All at Once. Eddie Redmayne in The Good Nurse. He sh- rears his ugly head again. He's um, white. Al- Albrecht Schuch in All Quiet on the Western Front. Michael Ward in Empire of Light. Hey, there is not white. a white person nominated. I mean, Kihei Kwan is also <laughs> um, not white, but yeah. Yeah, yeah. And uh, Ben Wishaw, somehow the only He's actor right. getting nominated or getting on the list for women talking. Yeah, wow. the only this is the, honestly this killed me more than anything, Scott. That yeah. the only person, the only actor nominated <laughs> for women talking is the guy. Oh my god! Well, <laughs> so the funny. optics are the optics are weird, but I will say I think this is an obvious case of vote stealing, right? Of like you know, oh, sure. Claire Foy, Rooney Mara, like Jesse Buckley, them all being, I guess. Well, I think Rooney Mara. Well, Rooney's in the lead. lead. Rooney Mara in, lead, in the yeah. lead category, and there's no one. But Claire Foy, Claire Foy, and Jesse Buckley probably stealing votes from her, and, and maybe the, some of the older some, actresses as well, like Judith Ivy, and yeah, like some of the older act- actresses who are in there. Um, but yeah, Scott really. I mean, Kihei Kwan is going to win this award, no doubt. Um, what if, what if Scott, your too. reaction if Tom Hanks wins the BAFTA? <laughs> he's white he won yeah exactly. i would just have to laugh like they would just I mean, be, be further devaluing themselves yeah. um but yeah look uh, michael that's... ward actually is quite you know he, he's pretty good in empire of light i will say so I, I even though that movie is very bad i you know i, I don't raise my eyebrow too much at that because he's 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 good in the movie sure um but but again strange that olivia coleman like the British powerhouse herself yeah. is not not nominated or not on the long list. Well, Scott, she just can't compete with Jessica Chastain. That's why. That is true. She was ne- neither good nor a nurse in that film. Yeah. Um, and Emma Thompson, I mean, I'm pretty sure that uh, she's a bigger British powerhouse than Olivia Coleman on that side of the Atlantic. <laughs> yeah, that. I mean, that is true. But, you know, uh, you're, you're right in saying, like, that Jessica Chastain getting in over her is kind of the you know one that will raise your eyebrow a little bit but um i don't know that there's much else to to look at here scott you know documentaries on here it's pretty much what you would expect um, sorry we the- have to look at original score because i'm about to cancel the bath scott avatar the way of water not on this short uh, not on this list I mean, what is, avatar what, is, is like the, the- what is the hate I was going to say I was completely shut out, but it isn't like production design, visual effects, sound. Yeah, Yeah, it isn't all that stuff. But um, I I don't know, Scott. Uh, You know, crazy as it may be, not everyone is a fan of of Way of Water. I am sorry to to open your your mind to that uh, thought that there are critics. But most people in the filmmaking community are a fan of Avatar The Way of Water. Yeah, I think that's probably fair to say. Uh, I don't understand, Scott. Costume design. Uh, international film, Scott, we should, I guess, point sure. that out, or film not in the English language, as they call it. Um, you know, again, a lot of the same movies that we saw when we talked about the um, Oscar shortlist, uh, mm-hmm. All Quiet on the Western Front, Bardo, Corsage, Decision to Leave, EO, and RRR, all sort of the major players there, probably. Um, don't know if there's much else to add on that. 
Yeah, I mean, I think that's, I think that's right. I mean, the only other thing there is like, I don't know. I, I I always forget what's the temperature on Holy Spider. What's the what's the deal with that? I don't know what Holy Spider is. It was. I mean, I, I think it. Gosh, was it at? I think it was at the New York Film Festival. And I didn't see it. Yes, that is. Uh, yes, yes. Holy Spider is the film. It is it's an Iranian film about a serial killer who targets sex workers, and it's like a it's like a I don't know if it's a procedural or not, but I think it's something like that. Sounds like a real crowd pleaser. Um, it competed for the Palme d'Or. I know that. I want to say this as a general comment, Scott, and this is more about me than it is, I guess. But uh, I I didn't see a single animated film this year that I thought was great. Now, again, this is more about me because I sorry did not is Avatar: see... The Way of Water not an animated film? I know I'm joking. No, I'm joking. No, Everyone, yeah. stand down. I didn't see Guillermo del Toro's Pinocchio. I haven't seen Marcel the Shell with shoes on, and I haven't seen. The Puss in Boots movie, which is apparently good, people are liking the Puss in Boots movie. People are are thumbs up on Puss. People are liking it a little too much, in my opinion. But um, <laughs> Turning Red, I did see and I liked, but is by no means great, in my opinion. And then Lightyear, obviously, is quite bad, but it is on the short list here. Or Man, you're do, you're doing Apollo ten and a half dirty, Scott. Right now, I'll tell you that much. That is true. I mean, I, I totally forget about that <laughs> because I so, so did every other awards body. Um, I guess not not considering it. Well, wasn't there something actually? Well, it didn't qualify. Didn't it, didn't qualify it didn't qualify for animation yet. at the Oscars, which but. is BS. And Linklater was saying it was BS, right? That story already came out. So yeah, um, yeah. I guess I'm. You know, I maybe I'm part of the problem in that. Again, I'm only thinking of children's animated films when I'm thinking of animated films. You also didn't see Strange Worlds. I mean, you literally didn't see any. Did you see a major animated movie this year besides Lightyear and Turning Red, besides the Pixar Disney Plus stuff? No. Well, your problem is I think you need to go actually see some. I don't want to, uh, to be, to be perfect. Well, you can't sit here and say, God, I didn't see a single good animated movie this year. I let off. I let off. Scott, I let it off by saying this is more about me than it is about the films. Yeah. Okay. Enough, so I am raising my hand and saying yeah. that, but it is just a unique thing that I noticed from my list is that I saw, yeah. I don't know, 85 films or something in 2022. And, uh, you know, Apollo 10 and a half. Okay. It's a great, I thought it's it was in just my 13. top 20. I you only it's in my top 20 years. of the year. Um, and that is an animated film. So, but as far as like the kids' animated stuff. All right, that should just about do it for episode 219 of Some Like It, Scott. Where can people find you on Twitter? I'm at Scarby Dent. And you can find me at, at shelton 2013 on Twitter, Letterboxd, Serialized, etc. Don't forget to also check out our podcast Patreon at www.patreon.com slash mediaplugpods. If you can support us over there, we'd really appreciate that. But if not, it's okay. You can still find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever else you listen to your podcasts. Where we'd love it if you rated, reviewed, subscribed, shared, all that jazz so that we continue to reach a broader audience. And we really appreciate all of you for taking time to listen to us chat about murderous dolls like Megan. We'll be back next week with the big one, counting down our top 10 movies of 2022. Come back and see if an animated film is on Scott's list. I think you just point blank said it, that it was on your list in your top, in your top 20. It is. Yeah. yeah. Apologies Come back next week to hear, to hear Scott's uh, one animated film in his top 20. Um, we hope you're looking forward to that. We are certainly and please join us next week. But until then, for Scott Harvey, I'm Scott Shelton. We'll see you next time.